and welcome back to another episode of What in the World is Dyscalculia? Previously known as What in the World is Dyscalculia? And some people have asked me to go back to the older pronunciation. It's easier on their ears. So if it's tomato, tomato, data, data, dyscalculia, dyscalculia, as long as we're talking about the math learning disability, I think we're all doing fine. This is Dr. Honora Wall, the host of our podcast. And this uh, podcast is hosted and sponsored by Educalc Learning, which is my for-profit company with a full line of in-person and online training for teachers and educators, online math classes for students and adults who have dyscalculia, and I'm really happy to be talking uh, with you today. I have a one event this week that led me to a couple of different thoughts that I wanted to bring up and discuss with you. The wrap-up, the, the synopsis of what happened is that I was in an online forum for people and families who are helping people with dyscalculia and uh, a person posted saying they'd recently gotten this diagnosis, they were working with their case manager and they wanted to advocate for having a calculator at all times. They wanted to know what that wording was supposed to look like on a 504 or an IEP. And I responded and paraphrasing, said that they could ask that case manager, do they ask students to take off their glasses before they take a reading test? Would they ask a student who is on crutches to leave them at the door of the classroom? No. For the same reason, we don't limit calculator use for students with dyscalculia. Well, of course, this was an online forum, and I typed it, and the person responded, and to paraphrase their response, said, I'm not looking to take that kind of an attitude. I just want to know how this is supposed to be worded so I can help my child. And I thought, oh my gosh, when we type, our tone of voice does not come out. And what I had typed, the word choice, made this sound very angry and combative. So that was the first thing I thought I would just bring up. It was such a good reminder, and I responded and thanked the person for reminding me that tone of voice is very important in getting our ideas across. And I expanded my thought, which was really what I meant to say, and this is what I think is useful for our audience, is that when we're talking to people who are brand new to the math learning disability and they aren't sure about some of these accommodations and interventions, using a metaphor or an analogy can be helpful. People are already used to supporting people who have things different from us, visible or invisible disabilities or differences. There are plenty of people in the world who do not wear glasses, but they understand that some people do. There are plenty of people in the world who have never used a pair of crutches, but they understand that if a person has crutches, they're going to need a little extra assistance. So we're already used to supporting people in a number of circumstances, whether or not those circumstances apply to us. And the same thing is true with dyscalculia. Whether or not a person has it, 
Whether or not a person has heard of it or is familiar with it, they can still provide the right accommodations and interventions. I will say, if you are putting that into a text or an email or an online support group, expand your thoughts. Watch your wording so that the tone comes through in an appropriate manner. That was my first thought. My second thought when I read this exchange, I thought, you know, why do we feel a need to walk on eggshells when we're advocating for legally protected interventions and accommodations? What if this woman had wanted to take a certain tone or take a certain attitude? Why, as a parent, would they not be allowed to do that? This is very common. I have a lot of parents I talk to who don't want to make waves. They're sometimes walking on eggshells, sometimes just making sure they're being supportive or helpful or or nice to the school. Sometimes it's because they're a teacher or a staff member at the school or in the district and they don't want to be known as the problem coworker. Sometimes they have other children in the same school or school district and they don't want to be known as the problem family. And sometimes they feel like they're the lone voice asking for these interventions and accommodations for their child and they don't want to be that problem parent singling out their child for repercussions. I wish I could say that repercussions never happen, but I believe we all know that is not true. There are times when people do think we're the problem family or the problem child or the problem parent and those repercussions come back on our students. So I completely understand where it is coming from, but I have to say what we're asking for when we ask for interventions and accommodations, we're not asking for anything special. We're asking for things that are protected under federal law. These are just the requirements of providing an equitable education. And honestly, they're not that difficult to do. Letting a student have the use of a calculator or multiplication list or worked examples or their notes under all circumstances, including quizzes and tests, it's not that difficult. That's not a hard thing to provide. It might not be something an individual teacher wants to do because it doesn't meet their traditional ideas of what learning looks like. And in in that case, I would use the metaphor to say, well, you know, it's kind of like going to a doctor who wants to put leeches on you if you're sick. We know more about medicine now and we don't do that. And we know more about education now and we know more about learning disability. So there are things we do now that we did not used to do before and that's fine. So other accommodations and interventions that we ask for, having extended time, having a separate place to take a test without distractions, having uh, some sort of prompt either through reference sheets or notes. These are not excessive things that we're asking for. We're not putting teachers out when we ask for them. And it's very important that counselors and case managers and the person at your school who is handling this stuff, that they understand that they 
need to re require or they are required to offer these services and um, if you need more information about those services or what's appropriate for dyscalculia please email me honora at educalclearning.com or visit educalclearning.com or the dtri.org that's the name of my nonprofit the dyscalculia and training research institute www.thedtri.org and that really brings me to my third thing i was thinking after reading this exchange what the person was looking for was an example what should an IEP or 504 look like for a student who has dyscalculia and those are very hard to find so that's a project that I'll be working on very soon um, getting that information just out on the website so that parents can have an example to take with them when they're having their meetings at schools and just to give you some more information about how to use that language appropriately. I talk about that a little bit in my online training courses for teachers, but I think it is valid to have some examples out there that anyone can access at any time. That's a need that should be met. If you have questions about what your IEP or 504 should look like, please let me know and I'll make sure to include them. I definitely want to include what we need to do for dyscalculia. Mostly it's having the access to those external resources. One to one hundreds chart or a multiplication list, not the chart, but the old-fashioned times tables, uh, and a calculator use as we get into fifth grade and above. That's the biggest one that people seem to be unfamiliar with or struggle against providing. There are some other ones that are really helpful for processing speed disorders, visual spatial issues, or working memory issues. And those are all pretty common for students who have dyscalculia, so I think they can be handy to be included in an IEP or 504. Of course, if you're lucky enough to have a full neuropsych evaluation, then we can use that to really specify based on the results of that evaluation what accommodations we need for processing speed or visual spatial or things like that. And I'm happy to have more of a conversation with your specific uh, situation if you reach out to me on that. So my three takeaways this week, three things that I thought about and an important lesson I was reminded of. One, tone of voice over the written word is not always clear. It doesn't always convey what we actually mean. So it's always a good idea to sit back and reflect on what you're trying to get across and expand and clarify what you're trying to say. Short and sweet does not work very well in the written communication. And then my second thing, don't be afraid to advocate for your student or for yourself. The things that we ask for to support people with dyscalculia are federally protected accommodations and they're really not that difficult. It's not special treatment. And people need to understand what the accommodations are and we have a right to ask for them. And however that form needs to take, if you want to be nice and polite and not cause any waves, that is one way to approach it. And if you sometimes get angry and you've just had enough, 
that is valid as well. And that's a normal human emotion. You can be angry about your child or yourself not getting the support you are supposed to be getting. And then my third piece is that I'm making this pledge to you that I'm going to get those examples out there. If you're finding examples of 504 IEP language and uh, you have a resource to share, please share it with me and I'm happy to put it out to that wider audience. Uh, it, this is a way we can support each other as we move forward talking about dyscalculia and support more people with the math learning disability. There are approximately 5 million kindergarten through 12th grade students in the United States alone who have dyscalculia, whether or not it's diagnosed yet. And that means we need to be sharing resources and sharing information. And um, I'm happy to do that through my two avenues, educalclearning.com and thedtri.org, or through my Facebook page or LinkedIn, or you can email me Honora at educalclearning.com for any questions or help I can provide. I'm happy to do so. This is Dr. Honora Wall, and I thank you for listening to What in the World is Dyscalculia, and I am off to work on some 504 and IEP language with clarity and making sure my tone of voice comes through properly. Thanks for listening. <music>